Welcome to the podcast for Wenton Baptist Church. I pray God uses this message to bless you in Jesus' name. I'm not very mechanically inclined. That's why we have uh, awesome individuals in our church like Stephen and Chris, and they just can look at something and put it together like that, right? So for me, I, I've struggled all my life when I try to put something together, uh, you know, the right way. You know, sometimes I'll, I'll have a reference point and I'll, I'll put together something and I'll have an instruction manual. And I remember one time I was, I was, I was a younger guy and I was, uh, I was excited and I bought a push mower and it was one of those box things at Walmart, you know, and okay, no big deal. You pull it out and it's almost all together for you, right? And so it had an instruction manual and I started to put the... Uh, the wheels on, of all things. You know, you think wheels are simple, right? You put the wheels on, and it's okay. And for me, yes, leave it to me. Derek puts, puts the wheels on backwards. I put the wheels on backwards. Oh, I got you here. So, and I had the instruction manual, but I thought I could do it without the instruction manual. Just looking at it, I put the wheels on backwards, and I had to start over again. Now, if I had paid attention uh, to the instruction manual in the first place, I'd be okay. I wouldn't have had to do all that. Disassemble it, you know. It's just, it's just not me. But, you know, sometimes a manual, sometimes will, uh, the, the, the manual assumes that the assembler knows what they're doing, right? Uh, not, so, not so much in my case sometimes. Uh, but sometimes a manual will miss a step or two, and you're scratching your head, and you're going, like, wait a minute, they, they missed this. And you figure it out, and they, they, missed, they missed this step. And so what you're supposed to do is figure it out and move on and, and and that's fine. Or maybe there's a, a part in the, in the box that, that's there, and, and you're like, what's this part for? Was this supposed to go and what I put together? Uh, it's, I've got it all together, but there's still parts missing. I've still got parts to hear, you know. Uh, you know, instruction manuals and myself have a very complicated relationship. Uh, but not so with, with my son, if I may. Uh, my son is, you know, he's just great, and he, as a kid, I remember he would get these uh, Lego pieces, uh, three and four hundred pieces, maybe you've seen them, maybe you've done them, uh, three and four hundred pieces, sometimes more, uh, these just intricate little pieces that they were like robots or whatever they were, ninja, I don't know what they were called, Ninjago or something, not your typical Lego things, they're pretty intricate. And so what he would do, we would give him this gift sometimes for Christmas or birthdays, and we'd give him this, and he would, just, he would just spread out everything on the bed. He'd get the instruction manual, and he'd look at it, and he would go piece by piece by step by step by step and put it together. And it was just amazing. It was immaculate. And I asked Jacob, I said, bud, you got any of these things? I mean, Jacob put together like 10 of these. We had a ton of them. And... Uh, I think Jacob gave them all away to another child or something like that. So I don't have any of them to show you, but he was uh, amazing. They were masterpieces uh, because he followed the instruction manual step by step, didn't miss a step. Now, some would say that the Bible is our instruction manual, right? Uh, The B-I-B-L-E, right? There's an acronym uh, that's out there. Basic instructions before leaving earth. You ever heard of that one? Basic instructions before leaving earth. Now, I would argue that the Bible is anything but basic. I wouldn't describe the Bible as simply basic, but you know, I wouldn't describe it as simply instructive either. Basic instructions before leaving earth. Yep, I've got my instructions, and then I'm out of here, okay? I think there's more to it than that. Now, there, there are many books in the Bible that speak of the history of God, what He's done, Uh, throughout the nation of Israel and how he's delivered them. Moving among God's people, he delivered them from the Egyptians and they wandered in the wilderness. And you know the stories, the 
people of God disobeyed him, and he came back to them, and he sent them away into exile. And what did he do? He delivered them again. That's just who God is. We see amazing accounts of God's faithfulness even when people are not faithful. God is faithful even sometimes when we are not faithful. And so it's just a wonderful account, and this is what Scripture does sometimes, the narrative, historical narrative. And what you've got in your hands today, uh, a portion of Scripture. Uh, this is what's called a Scripture notebook. And we're going to go through this series. We're going to go through this for the next four weeks. Okay, this is a Scripture notebook. Uh, and I've got a, a, a sample in here of what it might look like if you wrote in this. If you don't have one, uh, there's, they're down here, down front. If you don't have one, raise your hand and we can get those to you. Um, this is an example of what I like to say is Bible study. What, what happens when you approach the text in, in this way? And we've got uh, an acronym there, and we're going to go through this uh, in just, just a moment here. So hang on. But James uh, is a, probably one of the earliest books of the New Testament, one of the first books, first books that we have of the New Testament. It was before the Jerusalem Council in 49 AD uh, when James wrote it. Who was James? James is the half-brother of Jesus. It's not James of Zebedee. He wasn't part of the Sons of Thunder because that, uh, we know from Scripture that that James was martyred. Uh, but this is James, the half-brother of Jesus. And interestingly enough, you can imagine the half-brother of Jesus sitting with Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, hearing the sermons of Jesus when he preached uh, to the crowds, and his half-brother was there. And, you know, at that point, the half-brother of Jesus was not a convert yet, but God changed him. When he saw his resurrected brother, he was saved. And so it transformed him. And so James became a leader of the Jerusalem church. And he was no doubt radically transformed by the resurrection and recollections of the teachings of his half-brother. Pretty amazing. Uh, all of you know my, my, my passion for the hiking. Perhaps someday soon I'll go back to the Appalachian Trail. And uh, I remember early in my time with hiking, I bought this T-shirt. I was in the T-shirts. Maybe you're in the T-shirts. You go there to an event or whatever. You, maybe you all have tons of event T-shirts, and each summer you go through your, your closet and you're, you're tossing that one, or I don't need that one anymore. That was last year. I don't need that T-shirt. And so I used to keep all these T-shirts that I had. Um, I've since grown wiser. I don't have them anymore. They don't clutter up my closet. I wear it sometimes, and it's gone if I don't use it much. But there's this one T-shirt that I had for so long. And uh, I, I got it because it was kind of cool at the time. I kind of uh, kind of framed what I did as hiking. It said it had this neat, unique saying on it on the back of it, and the saying went like this: "The journey is the destination." Man, that's cool, isn't it? The journey is the destination. I love that saying. The journey is the destination, right? It's not about where we're going. Uh, it's not the journey. I was just envisioning my head, you know, hiking. Yeah, I love the hike. I love the journey. It's, it's all great, but you know, that's actually wrong. And it's way off. It really is. Uh, you know, the reality of it is this. Uh, if we learn things, we, we do learn things along the way, true. Uh, but what we are learning, however, I would argue, now, what we are learning is either pointing us to God or away from God. We're on a journey, but that's either pointing us to God or away from God. And I believe that God wants us to see him along the way. He wants us to have different, uh, as many God sightings as we can. God moments, God sightings. Wow, God, you did that for me. Wow, God, you created that. Wow, God, look at that sunset. That's amazing. Look at that sunrise. That's a God moment. That's a, a way uh, along the path of our journey, a road, if you will, that God is trying to get our attention. 
It points to the fact that we are moved to worship God. Even our conscience bears witness to God. If you're not, you know, God has put it upon your heart. Uh, if you're not uh, into church or, you know, it's, it's been a while, whatever, God, you still know right from wrong. Okay, that's amazing. All of us in here can say that. Uh, that's an incredible witness of the existence of God. The scripture says, A fool is said in his heart, there is no God. To say that there is no God is to really simply be foolish because we have all these arguments around us that simply point to God. And the existence of the law is one of those things that point to the, the fact that we have a creator. We have a God who exists. A moral law suggests a moral law giver. And someone who is infinitely higher than us, only someone like that could produce uh, a law, a moral code. And so this is called the natural law argument. So along this journey, yes, we're learning, uh, but it's, it's really it's pointing us to a destination. The journey's not the destination. We're headed somewhere. Uh, believe it or not, yes, we are. We're headed somewhere at the end of the, of the story. We're, at the end of this life, we're headed somewhere. We've, we've got a destination to go to. And so this journey is pointing us somewhere. The journey isn't itself God, but we want to get to where God is. Amen? We want to be there where God is. Where is God? God is in heaven. We long to be with God. Creation is broken. Look at the news. I don't watch the news anymore. It's just it's so depressing sometimes. We see that creation is broken. People do crazy things. They do dumb things. Why do they do that? That's just dumb, you know? Why, why, why? We say that all the time now. And sometimes it can get so depressing. I can't believe that. And uh, it has devastating consequences when people do things against God. The journey is not the destination. The journey points to the destination. And this morning, I want to take you on a journey of studying for the Word of God for all it's worth. Okay, now, all of you are, many of you are seasoned believers, and you've studied the Word of God all your lives. Okay, maybe this is not new to you, but walk with me here for, for a moment uh, during this morning. And I believe that you'll just try studying the Bible in this way. It will change the way you see Scripture. It'll change the way you are on the journey. It'll change the way you approach God's Word, uh, our guidebook and revelation from God. Now, each of you have been given one of these Scripture notebooks, and uh, it's a unique resource. It's actually got Scripture in it. You've got a pen there, uh, and it's got one page of text and then a, a page for notes taking. And so I don't want you to just to simply journal down what I'm doing. I want you to Engage with the Word of God, and I've given you a sample of how to do that. Uh, on the left there, you can circle things, and I hope you do this in your Bible as well. You certainly do that uh, in your Bible as well. Um, for example, you can, you can do these things like circle the primary words, circle the main words in a paragraph. What's this idea about? Okay, You circle those words, and you get a, just an overall broad picture of the Scriptures. Um, and so, you know, for me... Um, I hope you, you'll walk away with a newer, fresher understanding of how to study the Bible. Uh, perhaps all you've known is to study the Bible in this way. I'm going to read it, pray, and okay, God, thank you so much. And uh, you read it until you get bored with it. Oh, that's enough. I, you know, I'm, I'm done. And then you kind of move on. Or maybe you read a devotion and you read somebody else's thoughts. That's okay. You read somebody else's thoughts on the Scripture Oh, wow, they said that. That's great. Amen to that. Uh, yep, that's right. I agree with that. that. And sometimes that encourages you, okay? But I want to challenge you to listen to God, first and foremost. Not me, not someone else who's doing a devotion. I want you and God to interact with the Scripture. 
There, there's more than just hearing from other people. I want to challenge you to hear from God himself. What is God saying to you through the word of God? What is he saying to you? The only way you can hear is that you interact with God's word. So you've got a, a sample on how to interact with God's word, an acronym here. Uh, and we've got it up here, road. Okay, simple word. Uh, road. First, first thing you do, even before you read it, is you pray. You pray, God, help me to understand your word. You do that. That's just a given. We pray, God, help me to understand the word. The next thing is, is you gotta, you got to read. you got to read the Bible. Okay? Now, I know many of us are, are tech savvy, and, we, and I do this as well. We listen, we listen, we listen, we listen, because we don't have time to read the Bible. I think there's value in reading, reading the Bible. Yes, we can listen to the Word of God and pop in CDs and turn on our apps and hit play and all that. But if you read the Bible, just, just in small bites, this is not much to read. You read the Bible, you're going to see it uh, as, as it was meant. This was a letter uh, to the 12 tribes uh, scattered abroad. It was meant to be read. Yes, it was also meant to be heard aloud, read orally. But also, for the first thing you do is you read, right? The next thing you do is you observe, okay? And excuse me if it mis- makes funny noises. Uh, it raises your hair on the back of your head, okay? Uh, you observe the text, and there's uh, simply a way to do that, the five W's, who, what, when, where, and why, okay? You, you answer those questions in the text, and you're, you're going to do so much with that. Uh, you can pull so much out of Scripture if you simply answer those questions, who, what, when, where, and why. And you'll see a sample of how to do that, just this first page here, of how we've done that. And then also, uh, we need to be aware of what the author is saying. What was, what was the writer of James, what was his original intent okay, to his audience? What is he trying to get across? Okay? We kind of interpret what God is saying through the Holy Spirit when James wrote this letter. So we're saying, okay, I want to be aware. What's he trying to communicate? And then finally, uh, this is simple. It's application. Okay, okay. What I, I've got this. Now let's do something with it. Okay, if we want to grow in our faith, we have to do something with the Word of God. We can't just let, us sit, just let the Bible sit on the shelf. I know we don't do that. But we take the Word of God and we have to do something with it. Our lives must be changed by what we read. Or if our lives are not changed by what we read, what's the point of reading it, right? What's the point of wasting our time, okay? We want to engage God. So if you want to grow in your faith, believer, you have, to, you have to engage the Word of God. Maybe you've never done that before. I'm challenging you to look at this differently and say, okay, God, this is new and fresh and new and different. So I'll, I'll try this for four weeks, okay? So you're going to have homework, and the homework is to take each chapter and kind of approach it like that and go down this road uh, that we're on. I want to challenge you to do that, to pray about it, to read, to observe, to be aware, and to know what to do. And so I'm, inter- I'm intertwining a sermon in the midst of this. It's kind of like Sunday school uh, for Sunday worship, uh, very, very unique. But so this morning, we're going to look at the, the, uh, James chapter 1, and uh, we're going to kind of highlight that, if you will. And so I want to understand that James, James is so jam-packed with uh, small, bite-sized truth. Right? It's kind of like the book of Proverbs. It really is. It's almost like the book of Proverbs where Proverbs has these small little sayings and you take them in and you're like, wow, that's deep. I can use that. James is a very practical book. We can walk away and we can literally say, okay, yes, I know I need to not be angry uh, anymore. Yes, I, need to, I, need to, I know that I need to go to God for wisdom and not doubt and have faith. These are practical things. James is a very practical book. Uh, but it's convicting. It slaps you in the face and says, oh, you need a change. And it does me. It's so convicting. 
It's the Holy Spirit convicts me and says, yes, I need to change that in my life. It's not just, you know, don't do this. Oh, that's for somebody else. No, that's for me. God wants me to change. This is his word. This is how he's maturing me. That's the first part of this passage. God is wanting to mature us all. If, you mature, if we are growing in our faith, uh, we're going to know more about Scripture. It's not just knowledge, but we, go, we grow more in love with Jesus. We grow more in love with God. And we, we, we're, we become more like Christ and less like the world. You see, there's always a, a purpose to, to the going through of the trials that we face. There's a purpose in that. The, uh, James 1.12 says this, Blessed is the one who endures trials, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Okay, so there's a truth here what we must accept. With humility and grace, the Christian life is not a bed of roses. Okay, it's not. It's simply not, you're not going to have a happy life uh, all the time. Things are not going to go smoothly all your life in Christ. You're, you're going to have challenges. Uh, you know, it's just not the reality. The Christian life is going to be hunky-dory because why? You're going to be faced with the Word of God. God's truth has a way of penetrating the soul and says, for example, to me, Derek, you need to deal with this. Oh, wait a minute. I'm dealing with that? I need to deal with that? Yes, you do. Uh, this, is, this is something I want to point out to you in your life that, that's not right. That's what the Word of God does. It changes us. It provides that tension uh, that makes life uncomfortable. So you need to change this, Derek, uh, in order to get closer to me, you need to change it. This is what my word says. That's why life can be uncomfortable. And there's, there's going to be a struggle in getting from where we are to where God wants us to be. You will struggle getting there. But there's, there's something wonderful beyond the, the struggle. So, so this idea would fall into uh, the O section. So we observe that James is talking about trials. Big, big fancy word there. Okay, we know what trials are. Uh, trials, suffering. What is, what is that? We, we're we're going to go through trials. Uh, James says, uh, what, what does he say? Look at there. Consider it uh, a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Does he say if you've experienced trials? He says whenever. So we should know that we're going to experience trials in our lives. So we should approach that with humility. Yes, something's coming. We're going to experience trials. But how do we approach the trials? How do we approach the pain? How do we approach the suffering, the struggle, the, oh man, I didn't see that coming. God did. So we approach it with an attitude of joy in our lives. We must realize that there's a truth to the trial. Hear me out. There's purpose in the pain. If you're going through a struggle right now, there's purpose. God is not a sick, twisted God that says, yeah, I want you to go through pain. Let me set you up. I'm going to make you suffer. That's not God. That is not God. Okay, God is not the author of evil. Uh, now, James doesn't go into the whys of suffering. He simply doesn't, okay, uh, broadly speaking. It's, just a, it's not a treatise on suffering and the problem of pain in our lives. Uh, there's a book by C.S. Lewis called The Problem of Pain. Great book. Check it out. Uh, it goes deep into that. But, you know, for us, it, it under, we have an understanding that uh, trials, according to what James is saying, produces maturity in our faith. Uh, it, it produces maturity. How? Well, it's, it's simple. It's like James. It teaches us to rely on God. It, if we're going through the pain, it, we have to rely on God. Now, we all rely on the weatherman, weatherman to give us a forecast. Uh, you know, 
That's what we want to, we look to the weatherman, we open up our phone app, what's it going to be like tomorrow? You know, we go to the news, what's it going to be like? We rely on the weatherman to tell us what it's going to be like uh, in the next week or so. So we, we rely on him. If there's a storm coming, we want to know about it, you know? So we do that. But sometimes, you've seen this, the weatherman lets us down uh, in, in, in more ways than one. It, it's literally poured buckets of rain uh, on our parade when the weatherman said it was just going to drizzle. So there's still a tinge of, you know, do I trust this person or not? Do I trust the weatherman? Can I really trust this weatherman and what he's saying? He's got all the nice fancy graphics on the screen. You know, we could do this right here with the green screen. Uh, your weather for the day is partly sunny with a chance of suffering. Uh, you know, we could do that. But the weatherman, we don't trust him sometimes. Why? Because we've seen him. He's wrong. He's been wrong. Wow, it's sunny outside. The weatherman said it was raining. Ha ha. You know, we feel, we, I'm just going to go on, you know. But for us, uh, with God... You can trust him that you will have storms. We don't like that, do we? It's, it makes us feel uncomfortable. God, God the weatherman says, yes, you're go, you're go, storms are coming. You're going to have storms. Okay, so, so, so what do you do with that? Um, the comforting part here is that God has a purpose in your pain. God has a purpose uh, that we cannot yet see. God's going to protect us from the storm. God will tell us to take shelter in the storm. We can be ready for the storm. You might not say, you, you might say this, God, hey, I'm ready for my ship to come in. I'm ready for life to happen. I'm ready for things to get started in my life. God, why, why aren't things going good in my life? I'm really ready, God, to get, get, get beyond this. I'm, you know, I'm ready. Let's, let's get out of the gate. I'm ready for things to happen in my life. God, I'm, I'm stuck. I want, to get, I want to get unstuck. What does God say? He says, be patient. For well, you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature. You can circle that word mature, see there? Uh, and complete, lacking in nothing. Lacking in nothing. God says, trust me, wait on my timing. God says, I want to do a work in your life. Uh, God, I'm ready to be healed. This is taking too long. God says, be patient uh, in endurance. You know, you say, you know, though it's painful, I didn't, make, I didn't create the pain, your body's broken. And, and, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, I, I want to be with you uh, in, through the pain. I want you to be aware of my presence in your life more than ever. It's what God's Word's revealing to us. Now, we all know that there are no atheists in foxholes. They're just not. Why? Because you are at a complete and utter end, and you're begging for your life, God, and what do you say? God, help me. You know that nothing else outside of the intervention of a supernatural power can save you, so you all of a sudden have a quick faith in God to save you. In Matthew 14, 29-31, we see this moment uh, in Peter's life. Jesus told Peter to come out on the, on the water. And it should be up on your screen in just a moment there. He said this. I'll read it, verse 29. He said, he said Come. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water. Well, that's pretty cool. And came towards Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught hold of him and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? You see, a lot of us are going through a storm right now. And it's a test. Jesus is testing us. Uh, what do we do? Yes, it's okay to reach out your hand and say, Jesus, save me. I need your help right now. I can't do this on my own. Jesus acknowledges our lack of faith, yes. We need to understand that we need Jesus. 
If we endure trials in this life, we will indeed receive the crown of life. That's what James is saying. We're going to receive the, the crown of life. If you endure, uh, you're going to receive the crown of life. Verse 12 there, that God has promised to those who love him. There's a reason for the journey. There's a purpose in the pain when you trust God through the trials of life. But there's always a, a promise in knowing, uh, uh, there's a promise from knowing God's goodness. James 1 and 16 through 17 goes on, he says this. You want to flip the page? Uh, you can do homework, homework on this. It says, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift from, is from above. Coming down from the Father, another translation says, from the heavenly lights, from the Father of the lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So in the first part of James, we see that God is not the bad guy. He's not the bad guy. Uh, God's not that, that, that evil, mean person in the sky trying to shoot down lightning bolts on you. If you mess up, oh, I messed up. I better take shelter. God's going to strike me dead. No, that's not going to happen. God loves us. He loves his creation. He disciplines us when we, we go against him. God is not, he's, James said, he's not the one that tempts. God doesn't tempt you. Uh, God didn't make me, you know, it wasn't God's fault that you sinned. Uh, you were carried away by your own evil desires. But James says this, God is good. God is good. Every good gift comes from the Father of the heavenly light. So James wants to, to, for us to know that he is good. In the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of the tragedies we see almost daily on the news, we need to hear the truth, do we not, church family, that God is good? God is good. God is still on his throne. In the midst of what we're going through, we can rest assured, yes, we can rest in the goodness of God. The promise of God is he will not change his goodness. Aren't you so glad? He's not going to change. Things are swirling around you. God doesn't change. He's still good. Evil cannot stop the goodness of God. It cannot Sin cannot stop the goodness of God. We have gifts from God all around us. We just have to look harder. God, where is the gift in this pain? Where is the gift? We've got to look harder. Sometimes we just can't see them uh, in the midst of the pain. God's goodness is in his gifts to his creation. You know, God would knew that we would have to struggle uh, a lot in life. And, and a lot of times, watch this, struggling is kind of like eating, right? Did you know that when you eat, you have to struggle? What do you do? You, you have to bite down. You have to chew a little bit. I'm thinking of the, the delicious pork butts that we had. So, you know, they're not chewy or anything, but you have to bite down. So when you stick that in your mouth, you have to, something has to happen to it. I don't want to get too gross here. Uh, you have to bite down and chew and have to go through a struggle. You work pretty hard, pretty hard to get the food you just put into your mouth into a good condition that your body will receive it. But when you do... Uh, if something happens, you're like, wow, that tastes good. That's so savory. and mm, That's just so good. Making you hungry right now, I hope not. But it's just so good to stick that in your mouth. Well, there's, there's struggle there. You're struggling to get to the, the, the other side, the better side. You know, Psalm 34, 8 says this, Taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, and I've always kind of zoomed past the taste and see, and yep, God's good, amen, God, God's good. Okay, the Lord is good. Uh, good food, good God, let's, let's go, let's eat, you know, got it. But watch this, when you take a bite of food, you struggle. But the reward is a reminder of the wonderful taste of the food, okay? You bite down, you work it, you kind of like the you know, things that we were doing. 
into bite and chew. When you put it in your mouth, you're reminded of a wonderful flavor. You begin to savor the goodness of the food. You enjoy it. See, with the Lord, we taste His character, so to speak, when we go through trials. When we struggle, we see the character of God. We, we savor the character of God. The trials are working something in us, and, and they reveal a promise of God. Through the pain, through the struggles, yes. Wow, God, you're good. You're good, even through the struggle and the pain. God doesn't change. You know, even when we experience the trial, can you know that God is still good? He wants to teach us something through this. You know, that would be a, a, a why category. You know, he wants to teach us uh, through this. Why? Um, why? Why is this? He, want, he wants to teach us, okay? So we write this down. Teach, observe, this is part of the why. Okay, you like that? Teach. God wants to teach us something. There's a promise in the pain. And Paul went through this. We know about this story. Uh, Paul had this thorn in his, in his side. He wrote about this in Scripture. Paul struggled uh, you know, he was not absent from pain in his life. We don't necessarily know what the struggle was. We read in verse, uh, verse 12, 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10 there, says this, um, Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me so that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. Have you done that? God, take this pain away. God, take this away. God, take this away. You ever done that? Paul had. But he said to me, and can you receive this, Christian? Can you receive this? No matter what you're going through, can you receive this phrase right here? My grace is sufficient for you. That's all you need. That's all you need. You don't need the pain to go away. You need His grace more than anything. My grace is sufficient for you. Go on. For my power is perfected in weakness. You're, you're weak in your pain. You're weak in your trial so that Christ's power may reside in me. So Paul says, I take pleasure in, in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties. Insert your own pain, your trial, your struggles you're going through right now so that Christ's power may reside in you. There's a purpose in the pain. For I, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Can you hang on to that? When I'm weak, God, I'm so weak right now, but that makes you so much stronger. You're a God who is strong. You're a God who, who can help me. You've got a God who can lift me up out, out of the storm. God can do that. There's a promise in the pain. His power is made perfect in our weakness. He's still God, and He's still good. But also, there's, there's always power from doing God's Word. We're going to find, yes, James is a very hard book and convicting for us. You're going to find, mm, that, that speaks to me, that convicts me, I need a change in my life. You're, you're going to find that. It's a very convicting book to read, and it's purposeful. James was convicted as he saw and heard the teachings of his half-brother. It transformed him, and he, and he got it about how to live life. And do God's Word more than just listening. Oh, Christian, we're so good at listening to God's Word. You're doing it right now. You're staring at me, and I'm staring at you, and you're listening. And hopefully, I want to teach you more to, to, to interact with God's Word, to write things down and do more than just listen, but say, hey, that's for me. Watch what James says in James chapter 1, verse 21. He kind of goes through talking and listening and, and uh, you know, 
hearing the word but not doing it. You're like a man that looks at himself in the mirror and goes away with familiar with his language. We've heard this before. He says this, Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. Yes, we can say that in our world today. It's everywhere. Humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. That's what's important. James understood our tendency as human beings to have selective hearings. All the wives in the house say amen for their husbands. We hear what we want, and if we don't act upon what we're listening to, we really weren't listening with an intention to do anything about it. Derek, uh, clean up your room, bud. I sat in front of the TV and watched cartoons on Saturday morning. Derek, clean up your room. Okay. Sure, sure mom, I'll do it. Watch cartoons for about 10 more minutes. Derek, clean up your room. Okay, I will. You've been there. Then dad comes in with a belt. Boy. <laughs> and then uh, you've, never, you've never seen me move so quick. Why? Because I knew the discipline was there. I knew that there was a change agent there. Sometimes God has to get our attention through pain. Yes. C.S. Lewis said, God's, C.S. Lewis said, pain is God's megaphone to a deaf world. Does God have your attention? Does God, is God say, rely on me? I know the pain's tough. He's saying, rely on me. Are you listening to God? Are you doing his word? Begin with obedience. Start with the small things. Oh, I need to do this a little better. You can only do it in the power, power of, of, the, of the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't do it by yourself. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Church, we need to get ourselves out of the way. Humble ourselves, and he will lift you up. Driving is a perfect example of this principle. We've all been there. Uh, you know, um, we've, we've, we've had our driving instructor, driver's ed kind of thing, and they're, they're, also, they're always telling you, hey, you need to follow this rule and that rule and that rule. Make sure you keep it on the, the right side of the yellow line. Uh, make sure you stop at red lights. Don't drink and drive. All these things that if only we listen, if we're just listening to those and we, and we don't do them, guess what? We're going to die if we don't do them. We cross over that yellow line, we're going to die. We, if we blow through a, step, a stoplight, we're probably going to kill somebody too. Drinking and driving goes without saying. We need to listen to what the Word of God says and then do it. It's challenging, is it not? To struggle. I know what God's word says, yet I can't do it. I can't. God, help me to do your word, to obey. And what's God going to do? He's going to mature you, and you're going to see the value of obeying God. This is not legalism. This is not earn your way to heaven stuff. Okay, you can never be good enough to uh, love God. Your good will never outweigh your bad. So you have to rely on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who gives us power to live the scripture says, in him we live and move and have our being. Now, mind you, forgiveness of God is not a, a license to sin. Yep, I'm good. If I check into God every now and then and just, you know, we, we, sometimes we treat forgiveness as like a, a chalkboard. We, we have the chalkboard and we got all our sin here. We just erase it. Lord, please forgive me of all my sin. And we erase it and it's gone, done. Okay, I'm good. I'm good now. I just, you know, I'm done. God's forgiveness does not work like that. Yes, he forgives us of our sin, past, present, and future, but we don't treat it as a license to go against God. If you're living that way and you're just checking in on God sometimes, that's a dangerous place to be in because you're living with what's called cheap grace. The, the cross of Christ is ineffective in your life. You've just stepped on the cross of God. Understand that God wants us to hear and do. Now, 
James knew this. This is, this is the uh, aware moment. Aware. What, what does James want us to do? Uh, aware. He wants to, to listen and do. Okay, that's, that's the aware moment. What's the author's intent in this passage of Scripture? You can do this with any passage of Scripture in the entire Bible. The Holy Spirit gave these authors uh, this, this, this way, and so he's given us these means to hear, hear the Word of God, interact with it, listen and do. We can't just read the Bible. There's, you know, we have to understand what it says. Uh, it's not just intellectualism. Church family, I want you to fall in love with Scripture and its truth. It's eternal. It's not an exercise, and I'm checking that off my box. If you do that, if you just read the Bible and check it off your box, it's, it's going to get boring. You're not going to see the point in it, and you're going to move on, and you're going to forget about God. God's Word is living and active. Believer, He wants you to understand His truth, His message for you, and understand our tendency to go away from God. We must constantly go before God and say, God, I need you in my life. Oh, how I need you, God, in my life. The world pulls and tugs at me, and you've got to get the world out because God wants you to hear from Him. We'll never hear God if we've got the world here. God wants you to listen and do we need to understand that there's power in doing the Word of God. It has the power to save our souls in that we hear, we do what Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. It's not, okay, Jesus, I'm going to live for you and be better for you. The Christian life is not about being better. It's not about being a better person or a good moral person. There are many people who don't know Jesus that are going straight to hell because they're good people. You, you, there's no point in being good. A, a wonderful point in relying on God, His goodness to save you, His character in Christ. So we say, God, thank you so much. It's an attitude of gratitude, and that's how you obey God. You obey God, just like the offering here, we obey God because He gave so much to us. How can we not give Him our lives? How can we not give Him our lives? He's given His life for us. That's what obedience is about, Christian. It's not about legalism and a bunch of do's and don'ts. And so we see someone that's not doing, we look down our nose at them. Oh, they're not doing that. Well, what are you doing? God calls you to, you're going to be held accountable for God and no one else. Not your husband, not your kid. You're going to stand before God by yourself and give account for your life. How have you lived your life? How have you treated Christ? The book of James is very on point and it's very convicting. I pray that as we go through this study, It'll convict. It'll bring us to our knees and say, thank you, God, that your, your word saves. Your word convicts. You call me to listen and to do. To be quick to listen, slow to speak, and too slow to get angry. Jesus can save your soul through his word, his revelation. That's the do part. Now for the, your homework. You can either, uh, I want you to take these home and, 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 and get with the text. Wrestle with it. Go down this road. Pray, read, observe. Be aware and then do. Very simple. I pray you interact with this. This is God's word for us. God, there's, there's just a purpose in the, in, the, in the pain. God wants us to understand there's a promise in his goodness. He's the giver of the, the gift of, uh, he's the father of the heavenly lights. He gives us good gifts. And there's also power in the word to save us. Not just obedience, but through salvation in Jesus Christ. Let's pray.